Welcome to our show and thanks for joining us. This is Grateful Heart, the motivational Arizona real estate and business show. We're here to inspire you to believe in yourself, to dare to dream about your infinite and divine possibilities, to blow open your mind to creating your most abundant reality possible as our thoughts are so powerful. I found turning my own personal grief into gratitude raised my vibration to be in tune for receiving prosperity, health, and connecting to God's source. I'm your host, Rebecca Raines of Integrity All-Stars at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and I have been selling homes here in the Valley since 1993. If you have any questions and are watching us live on our Facebook page, you can comment and we will do our best to answer while we are live on the show, so do not be shy. Today on our program, we have some great guests for you. Live from Phoenix, Arizona, it's the Grateful Heart Show with your host, Rebecca Raines. Happy last day of August, everybody. It's August 31st, and boy, have we got a fantastic show for you today. I have two wonderfully, hugely intelligent, beautiful women who are going to just expose their knowledge on you when it comes to credit and COVID. You may not have been affected directly with a job loss, but maybe you have or somebody you know has, and as a result, maybe got behind in some bills. And what has happened to those folks now that they're trying to either refinance, purchase, or even you know get a car, who's to say? It seems that COVID, uh, and I'm gonna introduce you ladies, are here next, let me see if I can get this car started. I was joking, there they are, my beautiful ladies, Don McCraw and Tara Krieg. I, I'm gonna show real quick, ladies, before, oh, for I, here we go. Did COVID possibly mess up your credit? Let's see, now I'm trying to swipe. Fry, it's not swiping. So I'm going back to the ladies because I have on there, uh, Fry. <laughs> Why is this not working? There they are, I'm just gonna, yeah, just take the mouse away from me. So I'm supposed to be running this show and driving behind the, the seat belt of the wheel of the car and uh, it's been a challenging morning so I apologize if any of you out there have been waiting for us to start the show at 11 it did not happen but with that said I have known both of these ladies for a very long time and I don't need my screen to tell you all about them Don McCraw with Price Law Group she has been a credit guru for many many years welcome Don thank you so much for having me and Tara Krieg of AmeriFirst Financial she is an expert when it comes to helping people get mortgages and refinance mortgages. And sometimes people run into a little bit of stuff before they can qualify. And she's an expert at helping counsel them to get through that stuff. So I thought putting these two beautiful ladies together with their brains together would be wonderful content for those of you out there who maybe have been affected. Uh, you know, I was just thinking on my drive here, ladies, we are eight months done with 2020. How exciting is that? That's it's, wild. It's been a year of the record books for so many things. One of them, of course, COVID. Nobody expected this time last year to be dealing with it. Our markets have been dramatically affected. Businesses have been dramatically affected. I just got home, and I know, Tara, you can relate to this. I was traveling for the first time this past week to Austin, Texas. I had planned this trip back in March, but of course, thanks to the quarantine, my tickets were canceled and my trip delayed exponentially. And it was really weird to me, you know, I it just made, it really hit home at how in Arizona, we're kind of in this little bubble of, you know, maybe things aren't as bad as they seem, but I went to Texas and people are having to wear masks in the streets, walking across the street. They're getting fined if they don't. And when I shared the story with Tara this morning, you yourself just traveled for the first time. Tell me about where you traveled to and what it was like there. Yeah, it is the first time I've been on a plane. We traveled to Boston and um, we were anxious after five, six hours on a plane and several hours in an airport to get outside and take our masks off. And when we walked outside of the airport, uh, everybody still had their masks on. And so it's very, very restrictive there. And I can assure you, I wouldn't have felt comfortable removing my mask even in an outdoor environment standing alone based on just the caution, um, cautionary approach that, that the residents are taking. And so this, the struggle is real, even if maybe when we walk our streets here in Arizona, my point is, 
is a lot of people are being so impacted in this whole world and you know i feel like we kind of are on a longer leash and maybe like what did you say tara earlier that you know we lift up our restrictions a little bit sooner what, what were you saying yeah i was saying that arizona really led the way in rising cases when we opened up first to begin with so arizona was quite aggressive in our reopening approach and we saw our number rise relatively quickly as a result of that and you know my husband was just telling me this past week that he remembers when there were 3,000 cases a day and we're down to 500 cases a day so the reality is arizona is very much getting it feels like getting a handle on the situations and perhaps the masks are working so Perhaps they are. And, you know, maybe we're just ripping off the Band-Aid. Now, Don last week told me, or is it this week, that the courts are just now opening back up? Yeah, last week uh, was the first trials resumed since COVID. So, so yeah, we're, st we're starting to get back a little bit of normalcy, at least here in Arizona, maybe not in the rest of the country yet. I think uh, you were sharing with me, it sounded like the same restrictions for Hawaii as what they're seeing on the East Coast with a two-week quarantine if you don't have a negative COVID test. The reason why I bring all this up is because just recently, and I was sharing this, and this is what was my inspiration for the show today, I went on a listing appointment with a past client of mine. He lost his job. Very smart fella. He's looking for employment. He's looking at moving out to the East Coast, and if so, will be asking me to sell his home for him. He said he did his due diligence and he did his research because he had 800 FICO scores and he was certain that as soon as he sold here and moved to the East Coast, he would be able to buy a home there and take advantage of today's record low interest rates. And I had to be the one to bear the news that oh, it might not be as simple as that. He did his research. He was a little excited and animated with me because he said everything he read, he was not supposed to have anything bad on his credit as a result of not uh, or as a result of taking advantage of the forbearance option that he was receiving from his creditors for his home mortgage. And I don't know if he attempted to get any relief from any of the others. And that's really what I'm excited to talk with Dawn about. Dawn and I met many years ago when she was working at Go Clean Credit. Her husband is still co-owner of that uh, wonderful organization. That's the only credit repair place I recommend my clients to go to if their situation's a little bit more drastic than what they can handle themselves. I do hope at the end of the show she'll share some good nuggets on things that people can do to fix credit themselves. Uh, but that said, Dawn, why don't we just get into your PowerPoint if Rebecca can figure out how to start it. So bear with me. And when I put it up on the screen, you just tell me when to move the slide and I promise I'll try my best to do so because she threw a term at me this morning that I had yet to hear from anybody yet. And I thought it was really interesting because we're not just gonna talk about mortgages today. We're gonna talk about accommodations and she will get to explain to us what that is. Let's see if I can figure this out. Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm one slide over. All right, hold on girls, I'm going the wrong direction. I got. I have to turn the wheel of the car the other way. Mm, there we go. This is Dawn's uh, PowerPoint. She was nice enough to share with oh, us. Right there. Can you go to, yeah, slide three? Yeah, so we're already talking about accommodations. Why don't you share with us what this means? And Fry, can you put this on the main screen so that any of our viewers can see, see it a little bit better? We will be sharing these PowerPoints that both the ladies put together uh, with you guys when we post the shows on all, all of our social media platforms. Okay, so, so accommodations are just basically any payment assistance. So mostly people are talking about forbearance and forbearance around mortgages but that is just really one type of accommodation so um, some examples here are deferring one or more payments making a partial payment uh, to pause or reduce the monthly payments that would be forbearance or loan modification or even even contract modification for credit cards so there's all types of accommodations that can be made um, and right now these accommodations can be requested for six months and then it can be renewed again so you can have up to one year of accommodations under under the uh, cares act so somebody who has lost employment can't make their bills whether it's their mortgage or car payment or student loans or credit cards they would just call their creditor and ask for an accommodation 
Absolutely. And, and so, so the question is, are creditors required to provide an accommodation? And the answer is yes and no. <laughs> so yes, if they are uh, federally backed mortgages, they are required. So that's two thirds of all re residential loans are federally backed loans. Um, and then federally backed student loans. So those are the two types and, and the student loans, the type of accommodation is going to be suspension of the principal and interest payments. Um, right now it's through September 30th. So, so that, which so is those, coming up. I mean, it's only a month away. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're and they seem to be renewing. I have a couple slides to show things that were already expired. They've extended. So I think this is sort of a, you know, changes on a daily basis kind of uh, situation. Okay. So which slide next do you want me to show? Um, oh, I just wanted to mention that any other type of loan or credit card debt, auto loan, whatever, um, the, the government has been encouraging those creditors to um, voluntarily work with the, the borrower. Um, and I think that's been working pretty well, but it is at the discretion of the lender. Okay, so a regular lender doesn't have to, but it seems like they are willing to work with people. Um, and of course, we're gonna finish the show within what's now. Let me start, if that's okay with you, can you explain this slide to us, the financial impact of COVID-19? Yeah, so this this is basically saying, this is a transunion um, survey that they've done, and they're doing it every month. Now we're six months into the to COVID-19, and this is the results. Uh, combination of over the last six months. Um, and really this first chart on the left is sort of the overall perception of financial impact to people. And you can see that 57% of Americans are feeling impacted by COVID-19. Okay. And that, yeah, and that breaks down also, they, they have broken that down by race and Hispanic and black have been the most impacted. So in some in some cultures here in, in the U.S., we're talking 68% for Hispanics, 62 for African Americans, Asians are feeling it at 59%, and for whatever reason, um, the category of white is at 54. So that basically means no matter what you are, more than half of us are feeling some form of impact. Uh, then your little round symbol here shows, you know, on average it's 57%, and it has an up, an upscale of 2%. So it seems that people are feeling it more recently since the last time they did this chart? That's right. And it's it's, it's holding pretty steady, but it's increasing. Uh, apparently every month it's increasing a little bit. Okay. All right. Um, the next one, the accommodation data. Can you share with us what this chart's telling us? Yeah, so, so even though 25% of Americans are now in accommodations, this chart is telling you the, uh, the percent of people who are reaching out to their creditors. That's what this first upper left graph is. They're reaching out to their creditors and asking them about potential accommodations. It doesn't mean that they- ah. So the millennials are leading the way in asking for help. That's right. And, and uh, the number one um, accommodation that has been enrolled or, or you know, approved has been in the area of student loans. You can see the next graph on the right there. Well, it makes sense. It's federally backed and most millennials do have student loans. Not necessarily all millennials have mortgages. So that totally makes sense there. Uh, personal loans, mortgages at 15%. Uh, looks like auto loans, 14%. Uh, and then leasing, credit cards, rent. And I am kind of curious, Tara, when we get to you, I, I want to see if anything's been popping up on any credit reports having to do with rental situations. And then and the bottom, um, repayment preferences. Can you share what, what you're telling us here on this chart, Don? So these are just the top three preferences when people do call for accommodations. As we were talking about, there are many types of accommodations. So you can see the top ones, um, both in terms of loans and bills, which would be the other category in the upper right there, um, is to create a repayment plan and catch up gradually while making their regular payments. So in other words, not taking the amount that was missed during the accommodation and putting it at the end of the loan, but trying to sort of catch up gradually 
as they're making their regular payments going forward. Which sounds like a very responsible way to do it. So I, I'm glad to hear that that's what the majority of folks are doing. Uh, we talked about this slide. We talked about this slide. Uh, what is this slide telling us, Don? Um, actually, could you go to maybe, uh, let's talk about the credit reporting. It's slide four. And, and then it ties into the slide you were just looking at. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we could if Rebecca could figure out how to get over there. So bear with me. <laughs> right I told you, I told you I was, uh, dangerous here. Oh, there we go. Okay. So slide number four is the CARES yeah. Act one. Okay. Yeah. It's about the credit reporting. So, so a lot of people, so your, your client that you just mentioned sure. was, was correct that the, as long as you have been current on your loan prior to taking an accommodation, that loan will report as current and your credit score will not be impacted. Um, negatively okay well that's so that's the rule but are they actually following it well uh, that we'll talk to tara about to see <laughs> <laughs> right okay so tara you're going to be on the hook here momentarily remember yeah, that question yeah. oh yeah i i'm prepared to answer <laughs> <laughs> um so but what what he maybe missed in his research is the problem here is that there are missed payments. Even though it's not affecting his credit score, it's affecting mm -hmm. his ability to get a refinance or a mortgage because these federally backed loans are not going to approve you for a refinance or um, a new purchase when you have missed payments that have not been brought current. Okay, so, so we'll shelve that one for Tara, unless Tara, you want to interject for us right now. Yeah, no, I think it's a great opportunity to interject because unfortunately consumers, and you know, Rebecca, we did a video about this and we said, hey guys, yeah. I understand that they've come out with this forbearance and they've said there'll be mm -hmm. no negative consequences and it won't adversely affect and, your score. And it sounds so I, great. Yes, and we, we said, I really want you to take caution because there's gonna be unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. There's going to be things that are gonna impact you that you haven't even thought about. And so going back to Dawn's point, okay, so if it doesn't impact my credit score, it means it doesn't impact me. And that's simply not true. So on any type of mortgage uh, that's provided, that's backed by the government. So right now, Fannie and Freddie are under conservatorship. Um, as well as FHA loans and VA loans, which are government insured loans, you can only have missed one payment in the last 30 days in order to qualify for a new mortgage. It, on a conventional loan, if you are in a forbearance, you have missed payments. Those missed payments cannot be refinanced into a new loan until the loan has either been brought current or the borrower goes through some type of loss mitigation to go into a repayment plan or defer those payments to the end of the loan, at which time they have to have three months of on-time payments in order to be eligible for financing once again. So quick interjection, because that you started to lose me there. I mean, I'm sure anybody watching the show is like, whoa, that's a whole mouthful. <laughs> that's a, like, that's a lot. So going to my client that I was just talking about, he lost his job, he's looking for employment. He really didn't feel like he had any choices What's your advice to him if he gets that new job and moves out of state, sells the home with me, what does he need to do to be able to qualify once he arrives in the new place of employment? Yeah, that's a great question, Rebecca. So I actually posed that question to my underwriter this morning. I said, you know, if we have a buyer who was in a forbearance at the time the home was sold, technically those mispayments were paid off, right? Oh, Which so brought the gonna, loan current. Yes. It reinstated the loan, going, if you I'm will. Going, keep going. And what'd she say? And she said that it will be underwriter discretion. Oh. So the lender that they apply for a loan with mm -hmm. will have to look at that loan and ultimately make a decision. So what that could look like is they need three months of on-time housing payments. Maybe they go into a rental. Maybe they um, do something where they can establish a repayment plan, or perhaps maybe they've secured new employment, the hardship has expired, and they make a decision to allow them to have new financing right out the gate. But the point that you made, Rebecca, is it's not a guarantee. 
no. it's not black and white. You're not automatically eligible for new financing. And that really needs to be the messaging out to buyers and sellers is that you need to understand the consequences this may have on your ability to refinance or purchase a home. Well, and my client is very intelligent. I know he yeah. did his research. So I think he was really shocked. Like I saw the eyes pop open. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? I know that this won't hurt my credit. And I'm like, well, maybe they won't report you late, but an underwriter and getting a new loan might be a whole different ball game. So it's well, good to hear that it's gonna be underwriter discretion because I'm sure they'll be looking at other compensating factors. Yes, absolutely. Okay, phew, I feel better now. Let me get back to Don's, um, uh, if I can find how. There we go, Don. So we got, it, to, it, we got to this slide. Do you want me to go back to the other one? No, if you could go to slide six, because I think that can we can sort of just reiterate okay. exactly what Tara was saying. And um, are, are you on that slide? I can't. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Okay. Um, so right now there's 4.2 million homeowners that are in forbearance plans. I mean, it's a lot. And there's obviously we know that's going to increase, not decrease. Right. Um, and so the point here was there used to be a waiting period that was 12 months for missed mortgage payment. And now that has changed because of COVID. So this is what, what um, in, and it was just in May, this new guidance was issued just in May about the three consecutive mortgage payments. Um, so you have to, if you're in forbearance and you're thinking about refinancing or you're thinking about purchasing a property, you need to contact your lender, get out of forbearance. You need to end your forbearance then you need to make these three monthly mortgage payments. And then you need to figure out with that lender what you're going to do about the missed payments. Are you going to make a lump sum payment? Are you going to try to gradually pay over these? I mean, but somehow that has to get current, right? Well, right or selling the house and that would be bring you current. You'd pay the whole thing off. That would be the option as well. But if you want to buy another home right away, and you have a new job and the hardship's gone, it sounds like hearing Tara's response, you would either get into a rental, maybe prove that you've made three rental payments, or maybe you end the forbearance before you sell and at least get back on the payment train on time. Do, do both of you ladies agree with me on that? Yeah, I think if there's an opportunity to end the forbearance prior to the home closing, that's really gonna be the, in the client's best interest to do that that's gonna remove that uh, extenuating circumstance requirement to get an exception. And so my advice for your seller would be to bring that account current if he has the means to do so. And if he doesn't, then he'll just have to sort it out, go into a rental for three months most likely, and then hope whatever underwriter looks at his file is going to um, maybe make an exception. Yeah, he needs to be working with a loan officer in the area he intends to buy now if he can so that mm -hmm. they can talk through those options ahead of time. I think the hardest thing for me, and I've had it happen uh, through my entire career, is a client comes to me the day after we could have done something different. You know, yeah. and That's so kind of how I felt thing. when I met with him. <laughs> I was like, but see, I was thinking 12 months. And so, Don, I just learned something it new will. from you just now that in May they changed it. So it wasn't a 12-month situation. Now it's three months. Right. So. That's good news that I didn't know when I spoke with him. So we're all learning as we go. You know, who's yeah. we've never dealt with COVID before, and well, and that's very new. That's only been since May. Uh, yeah, so. sure. So you're right. saying it I shouldn't feel that too way. bad <laughs> that I didn't know that already. Well, thank you, Don. I appreciate that. So let me go back to if I can. Yep, I'm gonna get better at this mouse, guys. I promise. Um, <laughs> what slide would you like me to show now? I think we've gotten through most of your PowerPoint. Um, if, if you could just go back real quickly to slide four, I just wanted to mention one sure. thing about reporting. Okay, there we are. Okay, um, so the, we talked about what would happen if you were current before you were approved for an accommodation, and that's the scenario we've, we've just been talking about. What if you were delinquent before the accommodation? And maybe so COVID was a nice little convenient thing to happen so you can get a forbearance pretty easy? <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's say you were 30 days late. What the, the rules are, are that you cannot accelerate the delinquency during the accommodations period. Okay. And, so say that in English, Don. I don't okay, know that I understood so that. Let's let's say you're 30 days late mm -hmm. and then they have the accommodation. 
and the next month they cannot report you as 60 days late. Well, that's good. So it sounds like they just stop and freeze you in time of where you're at in the moment, whether you were late or whether you were current before the forbearance. That's exactly right. So they'll keep reporting you 30 days late during the forbearance. However, mm. uh -huh. if you have, you also have the opportunity during the accommodations period to bring yourself current and that will stop that reporting of the 30 day late and that, now it will report current. By the time you come out of the accommodations, you'll be current. So it is an opportunity to get caught up. It like kind of puts a pause button on a little bit. Well, that's good news. I, I mean, that, that, if somebody was struggling before COVID hit in March and now they're asking for help, you know, it would only be fair that if they were late before, they shouldn't have their late wiped out. I mean, I'm sure they would hope for right. the other, but you know, at least it won't get worse and at least yeah, freezes kind of them where they're at, right? It's um, a little bit of a pause, but but I will say that if you have a collection or, a, or it's already gone to charge off, none of these things apply. Right. Nothing is paused, it, it's, it all reports the same as it always would have before COVID. Okay, so that said, somebody who maybe is not making payments, they can't get foreclosed on right now though, right? Um, that's actually the last slide, slide seven. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about that real quick. <laughs> Jumping all slide. around, but that, hey, that's, it's, it's just, you know, one of the things that made make me think, okay, so what's the word? What's the answer? So here's the word. Um, so just Thursday, um, oh, wow. the federal, federal, yeah, just on Thursday, the Federal Housing and Finance Agency extended the moratorium on, on foreclosures. They were supposed to expire um, today. So today was oh, wow. So they so took they, it all the way down to the wire to really make people sweat it out then. They really did. <laughs> they really did. So now they have extended the moratorium on foreclosures to December 31st. And that also includes if, if it's already been a foreclosed property, so it's real estate owned, mm -hmm. the, it also uh, puts a moratorium on evictions for those people living in those properties. So anybody who is in one of those properties, uh, an owner couldn't evict somebody for non-payment of rent if they're currently not going to have to worry about being foreclosed on is what you're saying. You're exactly, that's exactly right. And I believe um, the moratorium on residential evictions, oh yes, it was extended to Halloween as of right now. So it'll be interesting to see if the week before Halloween, they decide to push this out to the end of the year to go in line with uh, the foreclosures. You would think that- right. it's, it's interesting that the um, eviction ban under the CARES Act has expired. So in other states, it, so it's, it goes down to the state implementation. Oh, okay. So this is just an Arizona moratorium extension to the 31st. Other states, some states have not, have no moratorium and we're going to see, you know, cause it's been now a few weeks, um, the expiration, we're gonna see a, a big ramp up in evictions. Oh, wow. So again, another good reason to live in Arizona people. For those of you who've maybe been struggling during this time, I think there's lots of good reasons. Honestly, after traveling over the weekend, I still think the number one reason is good hair here in Arizona, but that's just my own biased opinion. Um, okay, so Don, did we hit everything in your slide? Yeah, the, the only other the only other point was slide number five, which is basically because of COVID, the um, annualcreditreport.com is the place that under the law, under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, you can go to get your free credit report once a year. Well, because of COVID, they have um, made that available for free to people um, every week until April of 2021. Oh my goodness. So, so you can check it every week and it won't cost you anything? That That's right. Now it does not give you scores, mind you, but you can be watching. It's a way to monitor your credit for free. And it does give you, like as attorneys, when, I'm, when I have the Fair Credit Reporting Act case, we always use annualcreditreport.com it's your it's your live with mm -hmm. most of most detail of anything out there so are you finding that you're needing to go and fight with different creditors right now because they aren't reporting properly or what what are you seeing in your line of work look at your face just share with us come on we won't tell anybody <laughs> we won't name yeah. names <laughs> uh yeah I, I probably have i don't know uh 70 lawsuits right now. Oh, wow. 70. So they really are not following the rules in general, or are they? And this is, you just happen to have 70 yourself. 
it's all over the place. It's um, all types of reporting issues. Um, we really haven't gotten into, um, it's, it's a little complicated to explain, but these initial this credit reporting changes that they've made because of the CARES Act, it falls under a part of the FCRA that doesn't allow for private litigation. Um, it doesn't give you a private right of action as a consumer. It allows the states to, and attorney generals to go after them for errors. But there, if you identify an error and you dispute it, now there's a right of private action that you can take about this. So, so are you recommending that people then just go to annualcreditreporting.com and if they find something in error, they can, they, they learned about the CARES Act, they're seeing what is supposed to be allowed and what's not to be allowed. Can they just dispute right there? And if they refuse to remove it, then seek legal help? Yes, absolutely. And I would not recommend using the online dispute process. No. I mean, bureaus love that because it is so easy for them to never have a person look at it. It's completely automated. So write a letter, write it down, send it certified mail if you're able to, because we want a record that of what you disputed and put as much, you know, as much detail as you can in your disputes. You, you know, listening to this, Don, is taking me flashbacks to the short sell era when I used to do a lot of negotiations with the lenders to help people get short sales approved or do loan modifications. So it sounds like you pretty much have to do the same thing we did back then. Uh, which is really crazy. Uh, Tara, what, what are your thoughts? What are you seeing on credit reports? I know that's part of your slide as well, and we'll get to that after the break. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of things on the credit report that are deferred that our um, borrowers didn't even know about. So an example of that is the student loans. And Don, you'll probably shake your head on that. You know, they ended up just automatically as a part of the CARES Act, placing all of these federal student loans into a deferment and individuals were not even aware that had happened. And so if they were on an income-based repayment or a full payment, it actually affected what they qualified for because that forbearance then superseded the normal guidelines that we would follow. And I'll give you an example of where that would really impact somebody. So I have a gentleman who has about $300,000 in student loans. Uh-huh. He's on an income-based repayment that is about, I don't know. Is Let's he a doctor? I, How do you remember. get 300000 in student loans? Uh, a chiropractor, actually. Well, that's still a doctor. Um, I have a doctor yeah. friend who's a chiro. Yeah, yeah. So they take on quite a bit of student loan debt to get there. So anyway, he was on an income-based repayment, which was significantly less than the payment I would have to hit him for if he was in deferment. But because they automatically put him into a deferment, but by default, the credit report has zero for the payment that's due. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say he's on an income-based repayment. And therefore, that is the guideline we have to follow until it's been corrected. So it actually prompted him to have to call the student loan company and request to be removed from forbearance as opposed to having to call and ask for the help. So Don had mentioned that they're really being encouraged mm -hmm. or incentivized to try to offer this assistance, but sometimes without even a, a borrower asking for the assistance. They're just and doing so it. They're just doing it. So those are some of the things that I'm seeing, but I want to share a quick example of maybe those unintended consequences. And I, I brought this up with Don earlier. So I have a husband and a wife they bought with down payment assistance uh, two years ago. Their rate is 6%. Ugh. The wife's credit is actually quite better than the husband's credit, and she was not on the original loan. And so we decided we would go ahead and refinance the mortgage in her name because she is on title. Mm -hmm. So we go through the refinance process, and I ask her during the application, have you applied for any type of a forbearance? And she says, no, not that I'm aware of. No accommodations? No accommodations, no. And so uh, we go to close the loan and we order what's called a credit supplement because we have to prove that the mortgage we're paying off has had on-time payments for the last 12 months. And the credit supplement came back on the husband's mortgage saying that the loan is in a forbearance, that they went into that in March, so no payment had been made since April. He thought it was only a three months forbearance. It's actually a forbearance that doesn't expire until October. So he made a payment in July and the payment for July posted as April's payment. And so now all those missed payments have to be either paid, which they don't have the money to pay, or they have to be tacked on to the end of the loan and then they have to make three months of on-time payments. Well, guess what? 
they were already locked. Their interest rate was locked. So, so they lost the their, awesome rate. Mm -hmm. They're going to lose their awesome rate. And in addition to that, Fannie and Freddie, which makes up conventional financing, has implemented a 0.5% adverse market refinance fee. Now, and so now, because of the delay, they're going to be subject to that and they're going to end up paying more for their loans. So that's just one example of unintended consequences. So didn't that, like literally they announced that on August 12th to start yes. August 13th, and then I heard that went away now and is coming back to start when? So it was actually going to be in effect for loans insured by Fannie Mae as of September 1st. Well, okay. that's absolutely ludicrous because if I lock a loan today, the lock period for refinance is a minimum of 60 days. Sure. And then from the time we fund that loans, it takes about another 30 days to get insurability from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So if it's so lenders, we're going to have millions and millions of dollars of loans in their pipeline locked on pricing that was no longer available to them when they go to sell that loan for insurability. And so it was gonna cause a major financial distress on these lenders, which was the reason for delaying it. But let me tell you, Rebecca, that doesn't necessarily mean that lenders are just gonna remove that adverse fee until December 1st. That is not what we're seeing. Many of the investors are keeping that fee intact to protect their pipelines, because it, as I mentioned before, it takes about 90 days to get through that process. So we've been telling our clients if you've been thinking about refinancing, the only guarantee is what's available today. You know, get in line because from the time you start that process, you're still a full two months out. Okay, so I feel like we already hit half of your PowerPoint, woman. Um, and I'm gonna take a quick break to make sure I can, I can work this mouse on break. We have very good commercials coming on. Tara is gonna be the first commercial we're showing. Hold tight, just a couple of minutes. We'll be right back and we'll finish the show because Oh my goodness, we have so much more to share. And these gals are just full of information. So hold tight, we'll be right back. If you're looking for a mortgage, you need a personalized plan, not a click button, get mortgage option. Tara Creek and the TK team have saved families thousands by proactively planning their home purchase or refinance. Buying a home is a huge decision. It deserves a strategic approach. The TK team provides you with a comprehensive mortgage plan, including a complete credit analysis, outlining the steps needed to improve your credit score, helping you qualify for better rates and terms. Visit the tkteam.us today. We'll ensure you get the best guidance so you make the best decisions. The TK Team, moving you forward. Hi, I'm Rebecca Hidalgo-Rains with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. I've been selling homes here in the Valley for over a quarter of a century already. I want to say that experience truly matters, so when you're looking for your realtor to help you either buy or sell your biggest purchase of your life, I hope you'll consider using me. However, my experience doesn't matter nearly as much as my clients' experience. I dare you to Google me. You'll see nothing but fantastic reviews because I truly care to help navigate you and your family to the very best experience you'll ever have with buying a home. Hi, my name is Rob Sell. I'm with Sell Home Inspections. been doing home inspections in the Valley for about 20 years. I do a variety of home inspections from new builds, resale, commercial, multifamily units, fourplexes, duplexes, and even on up from there. I can be reached at 602-908-7355. Again, 602-908-7355. Thank you, and I appreciate it, and I look forward to hearing from you. Whether purchasing a home or refinancing, we know you have choices when it comes to choosing a title company. Lawyer's Title is the leading source for all title, escrow, and marketing needs. With access to the largest group of title insurance underwriters, Lawyer's Title facilitates successful closings and protects clients from fraud. Creating solutions that save time and money for everyone, ask your realtor or loan officer today about using Lawyer's Title on your next real estate transaction. Lawyer's Title is a member of the Fidelity National Financial Family. I don't hear the commercials in my ear. Okay, so we're back. And I hope I do not screw up this mouse usage any further. So thank you guys for holding tight. Tara has a PowerPoint she put together for us. I'm gonna ask her to explain it to us as soon as I slide back to the right way. Farai, what did I do? There we go. All right, almost there, almost there. Oh, by the way, while we're here. Okay, I spoke too soon, ladies. Bear with me. All right. There we go. Okay, so Tara, we're on your PowerPoint. And I asked you actually when we started, um, you were talking about forbearance. The impact of forbearance has a homeowner's, the impact of forbearance has on a homeowner's ability to refinance. We've been talking about refinances 
And I'd really love to know what about purchases because I sell houses for a living. How is all of this affecting purchasing? Yeah, that's a great question, Rebecca. So first of all, FHA and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac's guidance varies um, quite a bit, whereas Fannie and Freddie has been much more specific uh, to lenders as to what's required, whereas with government financing, they're putting a lot more of that onus on the underwriter to make that decision. And so um, the first thing I wanna talk about is FHA. So if an individual is applying for an FHA loan, and let's say, for example, Rebecca, in your scenario, they sold a house where they had even conventional financing. Uh So some type of financing. The guideline that we're gonna follow is for the loan they are applying for. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, Not absolutely. So, the loan that they're in. So, so odds are my client probably is selling a home with a conventional loan and maybe uh-huh. he's going to want to go FHA for his next purchase because maybe he's needs to use that equity for a while. I don't know. And well, and it might just be that that's the only option for him to buy immediately versus waiting a period of time. So oh, so are FHA- you saying FHA is easier kind of like after having a short sale FHA was easier? What I'm saying is FHA gives the underwriter the discretion. Okay. Whereas conventional is more black and white. They say we want to see three on-time payments after you've worked out whatever that loan modification is or you've brought that account current. Okay. So for FHA, they're, they're very clear. They say we will not consider mortgage payments as late because the payments uh, were not due technically. And Dawn talked a little bit about that. Uh, so they're wanting to make sure that the borrower was current for 12 months leading into the forbearance and then they want the underwriters to do their due diligence to find out what the financial hardship was and that that has been resolved. And if they feel confident it was an isolated incident and they're back to work full time, their furlough's been lifted, whatever it is, um, then they have the discretion to then make that exception to allow for immediate financing. Okay, fair enough. So I, I, it's, yeah. That sounds wonderful. Um, yes, so that's FHA and the, the, the pros and cons. So the thing to keep in mind with FHA is that FHA has lower lower loan limits in the counties that they serve. It's 65% of what the conventional loan limit is. So for example, in Maricopa County, on a conventional loan, you can borrow up to 510,400. On an FHA loan, we're gonna be capped just over 331,000. So I never knew that about the um, 60%. That's news to me, Tara. 65, 65%. So basically two thirds of what you could get on a conventional loan is what you you can can get get. on an FHA. Yes, you're absolutely right. I'm learning so much new stuff from you girls today. Thank you so much. (laughs) It's my pleasure. So my guy moving back to the East Coast, uh, any clue what um, FHA loan limits are out there? So it varies from county to county. So it's gonna be really important that we identify which county he's gonna be buying in mm-hmm. and then figure out if that's in the price point and that would work for him. Okay. I, you know, That's one of those scenarios, Rebecca, where I don't mind at all doing some mortgage planning with him, even though he's gonna be applying out of state. You know, okay. kind of the giver's gain. Sure. There's a lot of direction that I can give him to make sure that he knows the right questions to ask mm-hmm. and that he's properly taken care of. So so that's the FHA piece. And FHA has what's called a no credit qualifying streamlined refinance. And all we really look at is to make sure that the mortgage has been current for the last 12 months. So obviously if they're in forbearance, they would- um, That wouldn't apply. Well, well, yeah, but what you're reading here, and this is actually pretty neat, is they're saying for streamlined refinances, the new loan may include the unpaid principal balance. Whereas on a conventional loan, it couldn't unless it was modified or deferred to the end of the loan. And then they can also include up to 60 days of interest um, on a streamline. So it's interesting because I'll have a conventional borrower that's not able to refinance conventional to conventional, but I'll have an FHA buyer in the exact same situation who is able to successfully refinance during a forbearance period. So again, it really just depends on the type of loan that you're in. Okay. So if I slide over to conventional, what is Uh that telling us? Okay, so conventional is completely different. Missed payments during a (laughs) forbearance period may not be refinanced into the loan amount. Mm -hmm. And if the borrower does not have the liquidity, which in most cases, in my experience, they don't, to simply make a large payment and bring that account current, they need to work with the loss mitigation solution department to do some type of a workout. And so rather that's deferring the entire missed payments to the end of the loan or partial payments, they need to complete that loss mitigation process and make three months 
of on-time payments before they're eligible to purchase or refinance. So this is pretty significant. And you know, one of the things that they need to understand is it doesn't happen that quick. So like my family is in a forbearance until October and contacting the servicing bank and changing that forbearance period and applying for that loss mitigation workout doesn't happen overnight. And so it's really important that they allow for the appropriate amount of time to get through those things if, it, if they're gonna be needing to do something. Well, typically conventional loans are higher FICO score requirements, more down payment. They're just tougher loans to qualify for in general. So that's where I, I remember after short sale, it seemed more people could qualify FHA, myself included. And yeah. that was just the direction a lot of people had to go. Maybe they had to settle for not getting quite as fancy of a house the next time around if they're in a position to sell ver and purchase versus stay in the home they're in and figure out a refinance solution. Um, You're absolutely right. And the FHA loans are a little bit more costly. They have an upfront yeah. mortgage insurance premium that you pay to offer initial insurance on that loan. And then you pay mortgage insurance for the life of the loan if you put less than 10% down. So the reason that FHA can offer those types of concessions, if you will, or uh, reduce their because credit more requirements is because they're a little bit more expensive. Uh -huh. So Dawn, I think you're gonna see this last slide of Terrors is pretty interesting. Uh, if I can slide over there. All right, I'm all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm there, ladies. Uh, hopefully, right. Dawn, you can see this slide. I don't know, Fry, if you can zoom in on this so that everybody can see. This is what Tara did some screenshots of current clients of hers that are going through forbearances and what they look like on the credit report. Can you um, explain these to us? Please. Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is actually the example that we spoke about. So this is the situation where we had to do a credit supplement. So the trade line itself did not um, appear on her credit report. So the uh, credit company contacted the credit bureaus and the mortgage company, and this is the information that they received. So uh, indicating that the borrower has requested a forbearance as of April 1st, mm -hmm. and that it wasn't set to be removed until October 1st. And then I really wanna point this out. So it says no late payments have been made, which is what Don talked about. So they're not right. reporting it late, but it says the last payment was made on July 15th, but it was April. For April, which makes it look exactly. like they paid four minutes late or yeah, four months so late. Well, and my point with that is the borrowers need to make three months of on-time payments. So my borrower thought, okay, well, I'm gonna make July, August, and September, and then I'm gonna have three months of on-time payments. That is not what's happening here. The July payment that they made was for April and is not considered an on-time payment. So if he makes so one they, right now on his own, again, the same thing will happen, but it'll look like it's, it's gonna paid go for to May. May. It'll say it's for May. So the most recent three-month payments are still not being made. So I explained to them, making payments while in deferment, if you're not gonna bring the entire account current and reinstate it, will not begin your three months of on-time payments because they're not agreeable payments. So they have so to they, basically get out of deferment, period. They need to get out of that forbearance period. And okay. I think a lot of these servicers were so quick to offer these forbearances and say, hey, if you wanna make partial payments, on-time payments, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, but that doesn't change the fact that the account has to be reinstated so the, before they're eligible for financings without the three-month waiting period. The difference of your first example versus the other two, just to, to explain it to the audience, is yes. the first example is somebody whose spouse had the loan, but because they're married, they had to pull and see what was going on with the spouse's mortgage. And then the following two are actually the consumers, correct? Yes, and these are consumers that were contacting us for refinances mm -hmm. um, and, and had no idea that they were not going to be eligible for refinancing because of what this. What a bummer. And so, yeah, so, and you can see in both of these scenarios that the, um, like the second example says it's a conventional real estate loan. Do you see that? And it mm -hmm. says it's Fannie Mae. So it will tell us what type of loan we're dealing with and we can take that into consideration with the type of loan that we are writing uh, on the refinance or purchase. Okay, and then the second one is an F, or the third one is an FHA loan, and it shows it's got collateral and it's def it's also deferred until October first. So is October first just the current just deadline that everybody's receiving on their deferment? It was the six months. Oh, six so months. So okay. when they did it, yeah, just depending on how long that they chose to participate. 
Um, but what's interesting about this is even though this client is in an FHA loan, mm -hmm. they have enough equity that they wanted to refinance out of the FHA loan into a conventional loan. And oh. so the only way to eliminate the private mortgage insurance is to go into a conventional loan, which as you can see here, now is going to require either a reinstatement of the forbearance, which they don't have the money, or three months of on-time payments once complete. So ouch. their hands are tight at this time. Ouch, ouch, and I, ouch. And I do think what, what Tara is talking about there is so, so important. It's really the, the, the unseen impact, the unknown that these people are, when, when they're deciding to do a forbearance, I don't think they would understand that it's not just that the um, you have to make three months of on-time payments. It's that exactly what, what Tara is talking about, you have to get current. Before somehow. those three months count. Or, well, six months, a year. There's people that can say, you can renew the six months and then continue this forbearance up to a year. So right. You get that current. No one's going to be able to pay a lump sum of a year. So then, do you have to modify the loan? And now you have a loan mod, which has its own other implications. Impact on the credit. You're absolutely right. So my guy that I was mentioning, if he's only now probably been in deferment for two months, the best solution for him, if he can get current, is get current, make three payments before he leaves town. If and not, he has to end the forbearance. He has to end the forbearance with the creditor right so that takes he wouldn't even need three months of on-time payments rebecca and this is the most important part if he brings the account current without any type of loss mitigation he reinstates that mortgage there is no waiting period upon completion oh the waiting so period only applies mm -hmm. if they cannot bring the account current and reinstate it so for your guy if he can reinstate his missed payments now and get himself out of forbearance, he should not have any issue purchasing on the East Coast. Well, I am gonna call him after the show and tell him he better watch <laughs> this because now he's hearing it from somebody else who is an expert in this. I am just known enough to be dangerous, obviously. And <laughs> Dawn, um, I, I know we hit your PowerPoint. Tara, we got through all of yours. I'm gonna slide over to your guys' websites because you know, for me, one of the things that I thought was really critical is if so, now what? And um, you guys, uh, pricelawgroup.com, this is Dawn's website. If you need to reach Dawn, her phone number is 818-600-5585. She's provided us her email. If you'd like to email her at dawn at pricelawgroup. And Tara's website is on, Tara, what is your website? Because I think I- T Yeah, that's okay. It's tkteam.us. TKteam.us. Yeah, I uh, cropped this, that off accidentally. And Atira is a loan officer here local, Amerifirst Financial. You can email her at tkrieg at amerifirst.us. And her phone number is 480-344-1951. Um, let's see here. Here is Dawn's website. Oh, yeah. And I've got Tara's website which is the TK team. And then because I met Dawn so long ago, I have written a couple of blogs and I talk about in my blogs how you can fix your credit by just going to the FTC website. Obviously that is now outdated information. Dawn, it's annualcreditreport.com? Yes, that, that is the site you would go to pull your credit. On a weekly basis, which it used to be just one time a year, right? Correct. So that is phenomenal news because the biggest thing is just knowing what's on there. And then if you're trying to figure out if you need help from an attorney or perhaps go clean credit, then you can go from there. And hey, Dawn, out of curiosity, this PowerPoint that you gave me so many years ago, is this one that is still have um, current information from go clean credit? Um, I would say that, yeah, that's a very basic breakdown of just credit scores and how they work. And I, I think that is still, still. I mean, what is very interesting, and I'm sure Tara will appreciate this, is um, we, we hear about different FICO scores, right? There are about 100 different FICO algorithms that are out there. And it's very confusing for people because they'll go on to their Capital One or they'll go on to a, a reseller that they pull from online and they'll say, my FICO score is X. And then they'll go to Tara and Tara will have a different FICO score. Why is that? Because 
there is only one set, actually three, one for Experian, one for Equifax, and one for TransUnion that are the mortgage FICO scores. And they originated in 2004. They are very, very, very old. old. Now, didn't you tell me the last time we were on the radio, Dawn, that the FICO scores are looking at getting revamped in the near future? I feel like that's something that you taught me before. Yeah, so they've been revamped many times. Oh. So there's FICO 8 is out there, and that's the one that sort of never got adopted. None of these have gotten adopted by Fannie and Freddie. That is the key. So, so and FICO 9 is out there. FICO 10 is released. Uh, this I think it just got released. Um, but some credit card companies use them. Some, you know, auto loans use these newer FICOs, but the old FICO, way back from... 2004 is still being used for mortgages out there so hey some and it has some very weird nuances that are counterintuitive you know like paying off the collection is going to help your credit but it really doesn't yeah and those are the things that i thought were really interesting when i first met you this slide here I felt like it was like the whole doors busted open on me when I actually got to see this formula on trying to help people increase their credit scores and, you know, just, I guess, fiscally responsible uses of your credit. Because like this weekend, I was with my niece, 19 year old kid trying to get credit for the first time. And I had to tell her, I'm like, honey, the real world is you want credit because when you need credit, you want to be given credit, but if you misuse it or use it too much, no one's going to want to give you credit. And I feel like this pie chart is something I'm going to need to send her to help educate her on the different uses of credit and how important it is. Payment history is 35%. So Tara and Don, is it still true? Because I tell people this all the time. If you're trying to establish credit, having mom or dad or a friend or somebody put you on as a authorized user is a good way to maybe build up your credit score, ladies. Would you still say that's accurate? So for mortgage related purposes, where we really use the authorized user to help accelerate how long it takes to build credit, is if if somebody has no credit at all and they go and apply for a credit card, it takes six months to populate a credit score. If they went out and applied for new credit and simultaneously got added to their parent's credit card, and that credit card posts to the account, it actually will accelerate how quickly we can populate a score. So that's the type of thing that I'll use the authorized user account. But keep in mind, the underwriting system and underwriters want to see that the borrower has some established payment history of their own. Uh, The authorized user account is certainly being scrutinized more so than it has in the past. And if I have a client who just has authorized user accounts and no credit of their own, I'll actually be required to remove those authorized user accounts from their trade lines to get an accurate credit score. So we gotta be real careful about how we strategically use authorized users to build credit. And Don, do you wanna add anything to that? Um, I would just, I would just, I totally agree with that. And I would just add that, um, that the authorized user, what it's going to do is help your credit score. When you're considering underwriting, which is many, many factors, and the credit score is only one of those factors, you have to look at a lot more than just, am I gonna try to bump up my credit score? Because that's what an authorized user will do. But as as Tara was saying, it's not establishing- Their own credit. credit. Yeah, but it will, it will, the score will view it, at least the FICO classic score from 2004, will calculate that authorized user account as though it is yours. It will give you 10 years of credit history where you have none. It will give you a $10,000 credit limit where you have none. So so it, it can have a very substantial impact, impact actually on your score. But as Tara said, for getting a mortgage, that's a whole different ball game. Well, what I did for my daughter, and, and I feel like this was the right guidance and probably help from both of you ladies, because I've known both of you for so many years. I had Hannah added to one of our credit cards that allowed her to get her own credit card which then allowed her to get a car loan and she repaid both. So she's got her own stuff. And I don't know, I I, like, I've been kind of toying with the idea of maybe taking her off of our card because I feel like now she's kind of launched off in doing her own credit. What would you guys say? Or just keep her on because it's not hurting nothing. I, I would, I would say it's not hurting anything to keep her on and you can remove it at any point in time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah so there's really and as long as she doesn't have access to no. the card that's what i always advise is if you're, you're going to add your son or daughter you don't give them access to the card to use it right you, it, they're just, just borrowing your credit they're just yeah. borrowing our history and right. uh, yeah actually my niece texted me this morning and I don't know how good her mom's credit's been. And so I was just telling her, I'm like, well, it's better than no credit. And then maybe you can get your own card. Um, and I, both of you ladies, I, and then we're gonna end the show. I know that there's certain stores or certain banks or certain places that are easier to get a, a, your first credit card for somebody who's maybe trying to establish their credit or get, you know, maybe credit increasing their own scores. Where are some places you guys recommend to people to apply for credit when they need to establish credit? Well, I, I have found that um, Capital One is one of the easiest cards to get. Um, I literally have the clients who have filed for bankruptcy and the Capital One card was included in bankruptcy and the same month that the account is, that the bankruptcy is discharged, they're able to get a new Capital One credit card, so. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Seems to be very easy. Okay, so Capital One is where I'm going to tell Maddie to go apply. She's my niece. As soon as mom adds her on, Tara, do you have any other? Because I always thought like Home Depot or Kohl's or places like that or like a store card. Mm -hmm. um, actually, I refer people. Uh, credit Karma has an FAQ on the best secured credit cards and what makes them the best secured credit cards. And so every client's a little bit different. Uh -huh. And so some of them have no annual fee, but a higher interest rate. Some of them have a, a more reasonable interest rate, but an annual fee. And so I think it's really important that the clients understand the terms of the card. Okay. I've actually had clients who I've recommended, they go get a credit card, they open up a secured credit card, and gosh dang it, they missed the first payment. Oh my goodness. I can't even, I'm not even kidding. And what happens is they charge the annual fee as soon as the credit card gets dispersed. And so it comes in the mail and they don't think much about it. They put it on the counter and 30 days later, a payment is due for the annual fee. And then it goes 30 days delinquent. So it's just a, a horrible chain of events. So I always tell people, if you are going to apply for one of these credit cards, you have to be able, uh, and I think this is really important. I explain credit this way. Credit is about establishing a, a behavior as it relates to repaying your bills. It's not about having debt. I have people with perfect credit that have no debt. They pay their credit cards off in full every single month. But what a creditor can see is a pattern in their behavior as it relates to paying their bills. And so that's the explanation that I use to help them understand the importance of establishing a good payment history on those three major credit bureaus. Wow. Now, I just feel like that was such valuable information between both of you, Capital One, and credit karma and understanding and avoiding maybe the annual fee, maybe getting one that's been waived and just being very conscientious. Ladies, you've been amazing. Uh, one last tidbit from either of you or just to how people can get a hold of you because I know I asked Dawn in the beginning, you know, not everybody's gonna need help from an attorney to resolve credit issues. Apparently though, she does have 70 current lawsuits right now. So it looks like people are needing her help for that. Um, I, if somebody is just trying to dig in for the first time, I'm assuming annualcreditreport.com, Don. I think that's a good starting point. Um, it, it's uh, very detailed, so you know they they are going to have to look at it. But you're just looking to say to to see if anything there looks wrong. You know, mm -hmm. I paid. Why is it this balance doesn't look right? I mean, even your personal information. If you see something on there and you've never lived there you you want to take care of that you want to dispute that with the bureaus and get that off because that means that there's a possibility of a mixed file you know maybe mm -hmm. someone else's information is on your credit or could potentially get on there so so be diligent it's it's your no one is going to look after it except for you you know you have great to advice be and be your own advocate as far as your credit goes. Love it. And how do people get a hold of you if they decide they need your help or Go Clean Credit's help? Uh, you can call me at 818-600-5585. Um, I'm in Arizona, but yeah, that's my number. So. Okay, appreciate you so much. Thank you, Dawn. And Tara Krieg of AmeriFirst. Uh, any parting words of wisdom, last thoughts, or how do people just get a hold of your sister? 
Sure. So my last recommendation is to be monitoring your credit in some capacity. And Don mentioned that even though the algorithms are different, and they certainly are, the integrity of the data is there. And that's what you're looking at. You're looking to make sure that the information is correct. The one that I recommend that does in fact give you your mortgage credit scores is MyFICO. And you can download it right from the app store. And there is a cost associated with that credit monitoring. But the number one thing that I see that makes the biggest difference between FICO 8 and the versions of FICO that we use for mortgage lending is medical collections. And they're so silly, $25. We didn't even talk about medical. Ay. Oh my gosh, it's That's crazy. a whole nother show. Uh, yeah, that's a whole nother show, but I really, want, I, really want to say, I really want to say this. When I, when I look at somebody's credit and I see a huge discrepancy, 780 and 666, I immediately scroll down to the collection section and it's usually a copay from a doctor's office or a urologist or blood work or whatever. And they don't even know. Nobody ever sent them a bill. They had no idea. And what they say to me every time is, but Credit Karma has me at 800 or whatever. And I said, Credit Karma's algorithm looks at medical collections differently. The older versions of FICO cannot differentiate medical versus non-medical. So okay. that my FICO app will show them the discrepancy okay. so in the scores. My FICO so. app's important, peeps. Whoever's watching this, pay yeah. attention. I do, and I just want to comment. I do love that because that is literally the only place you can go. My myfico.com, the only place you can go to pull your own mortgage mortgage FICO score. There is no other place except going to a mortgage company and then it's a hard pull where it's a soft inquiry if you do it through MyFICO. Okay, it's so great. I'm gonna run home and download myficoscore.com. <laughs> no, 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 it was the app from the app store, MyFICO, right, Tara? MyFICO, yes. Okay, MyFICO. there is a .com as well, but yes, it's MyFICO and it's a circle with lots of colors. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. We'll make sure you have the right one. Okay, and how do, how's your best way for people to get a hold of you one more time, Tara? Sure. You can either contact the office at 480-344-1951 or you can go to our website at tkteam.us. Awesome. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate every little word of wisdom. You've and like my brain is just overflowing now. And I hope our clients combined will appreciate all this information. For those of you guys watching or listening to our show, please share, subscribe, like, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Same place, same time. And I apologize for starting a few minutes late today. Have a great week this week, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. What a great show. And thank you for joining us on our mutual journey to becoming unharmable and successful in all of our experiences while we're here in this school of life. We hope you enjoyed it. If you watched us on YouTube, please like and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Likewise, if you're catching us on one of our podcast platforms, be sure to follow us so you never miss out on another one of our shows again. Remember that if you ever have a question about real estate or any of the other topics we cover, check us out on the web, www.gratefulheart.tv, for all of our links to connect with us. Otherwise, we'll have another show for you again right here next Monday at 11 a.m. Arizona time. I'm on vacation every single day Cause I love my occupation Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation every single day Every, every single day